You, you mind if I read this? Start now. Jake, thanks for the email. I was really happy to get it. Whenever you get your hands out to the, uh, of the cast, I'd like to receive another one. Like I said, I was very happy to hear that you were still trying out for the team. I'm not putting pressure on you, but I'm including our SEAL team philosophy. Not your mom's version of it. This is a new thing for the teams. The attitude is the same, but now it's on paper. If you read it, you'll find that it has a little of everything. It goes into things like integrity and devotion and intensity. All these things that will help you in your life. If you apply it to your football, and then you will, if you apply it to your football, then you will do well. Like, I, like you said, the more you play it, the more you will understand it. You should print it out and keep a copy with. It'll be good to remind yourself before practice or anything that sucks. I've been doing it. I've been doing my job for 15 years and I think about it, about parts of it at times. The other night, we were on the worst op ever. Guys wanted to quit, but there was no way out. We had to dig deep from within and suck it up. We ended up prevailing as always. It's always in the head. Your body will do whatever you tell it to do. So when you're doing your tryouts or your two-a-days and you are just going through the motions, check yourself and give it everything you've got. You may not get another chance. First impressions are important and you only get one chance to make them. One of my guys has a brother who's the strength coach at the University of Texas. He changed the SEAL philosophy to a football one. I'll include that one also. These are valuable tool, tools and a lot of experienced SEALs got together to make it. Use it and in your own words, do well. I've got to get going. I love you, dad. And in a small subscript, the football version will come later. That was seven days before your dad passed. Yep. Yep. I was actually able to talk to him on the phone uh, a couple days later. I was on my way out to go hang with friends. I was, you know, 15, 15 and a half at the time. Just want to go hang out with friends. And um, I heard the phone ring. This is back in the days when, when the phone rings, it's important, right? Like not everybody's an ad call or whatever. So I, I stuck around and I could tell by the way my mom responded on the phone that it was my dad, you know, raises her voice, high pitch or something. You know, I just could tell, oh, that's my dad. My dad's on the phone. So I stuck around and then, you know, sure enough, um, after a couple of minutes, she's like, yeah, he's right here. And so I grabbed the phone and we were able to talk for another 10 minutes and the sentiment was the same of the letter, but the context was different. Um, I've had a lot of sort of, um, I don't know, stories to paint a fuller picture, but they were, they were going on mission every day. They were getting in ticks every day. Um, bullets were flying every day. It was really busy up there in the Kunar province where they were, and they were just getting after it as far as I'm told. And um, which has helped me to understand the sentiment behind this email and that phone call. But he, uh, um, you know, he was uh, 
I don't know, it was kind of shook, you know, and he just wanted to express some of that to me. And, and I felt like it was like that last call deal where, like, he's just doing everything he can to convey those last those last lessons, you know, like, because he knew, every, you know, any day could be his last, um, almost to the point of, like, knowing it's coming. So, um, so I'm extremely grateful for that letter um, that my family has, like, a memento, you know, and um, for that call that I was able to share those last kind of words with my dad. How old were you when, uh, when he perished? So 15 and a half about. I was a freshman going to my sophomore year of high school, and I was actually trying out for my first year junior varsity football team. Well, having uh, – and, and for the audience – you know, we've got Jacob uh, Santona here. Um, he's Dan Healy's son. Dan Healy was a senior chief uh, in the SEAL teams. He was a SEAL, part of SDV-1, and perished on the helicopter that came in to rescue the reconnaissance team on the ground, most known as uh, Operations Red Wing. Um, in the movie, what was the, the title of the movie? Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Yep. Thank you. Same as, same as the book written by, uh, by Marcus uh, Littrell. I was at uh, SEAL Team 3 when this happened, and uh, it was shortly after I'd just gotten back from my first deployment, and this happened, um, and it shook, shook the community. But I will tell you from, you know, you mentioned the, the, the Konar province or the Kunar province, uh, phonetic way, however you want to pronounce it, uh, you were always getting it on. That, that was the worst place in Afghanistan by nature of the terrain. So it gave the enemy... Uh, an advantage uh, over Americans and the technology that we bring to bear. But, uh, you know, I don't want to throw statistics out that I don't know, but a good majority, if you go back, I want to say something like 75% of all the medals medals of honor won in Afghanistan were in the Konar province. It was my first operation in Afghanistan was in the Konar, and that's it. we lost a guy that night, Adam Brown. It's just a nasty, nasty place. And that's where all the senior leaders, if they were in country, would bed down there because there are so many regions that the U.S. troops just wouldn't go into. So remote, hard to insert, hard to get out if somebody's wounded. It just wasn't, wasn't worth it. And they knew they had home field advantage in a, uh, in a sense, and they had it with the guys with, with Red Wings. It was a, a bad situation. But the question is, what do you do? Do you just let them have a sanctuary, or do you accept risk and, and push the envelope to displace them? Yeah. Um. I have a weird piece about it. Maybe you can relate, but, um, you know, I've talked to Marcus a couple of times over the years and he, he's told me more than one time, you know, we have, it's like a warrior, right? And you can appreciate this in the context of a warrior, but warriors have fought and died in those mountains for thousands of years Mm. and they will continue to fight and die there for thousands of years. And, I don't know. I have a weird piece about that. Just you still are not able to 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 contextualize or just come to sort of a it it, it doesn't it doesn't absolve the pain. I mean, so I'll take you back a little bit further. About a year in Hawaii, where SD. You know, my dad was yes. based. Yeah. Um, 
Pearl, Pearl Harbor, you know, not a bad duty station. Did you love it? Oh, man. I didn't live in Pearl Harbor, Honolulu with my dad. I lived in San Diego, but um, we visited often, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, loved, I don't know, lo- loved the, you know, Hawaii lifestyle. My sister, uh, oldest sister, she actually studied at HPU there for four or five years to kind of mm-hmm. like, I think, you know, keep sort of a connection going with my dad and, mm-hmm. and uh, the presence there. But um, about a year prior to his death, he um, told me that they were deploying. So I remember the moment vividly. We had just finished playing um, basketball at, like, the local rec center or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, on base. And we were walking back to the house, and uh, the whole, you know, what felt like the whole family was there waiting inside the house. And he stopped me before we walked in the door. He's like, Hey, he was just kind of squared up, you know, like, Hey, I gotta say something. And like, what's up? He was like, you, um, he's like, we got orders. I immediately knew like, you're not telling me this cause no. you know, you just know, um, means he's going to Afghanistan or Iraq. And, um, <clears throat> I was like, okay. And he was like, okay, okay. And that's it. You know, it's everything right there. That's part, I feel like the majority, if not all, uh, military kids um, are resilient. And they're prepared for that. They know what that means. You know, they're, they're, it's a weird wisdom that you just, you just grow over time watching your friends, you know, grow up with their dad every day who comes home from work and gets to play or go in the pool or barbecue, and then your dad's on deployment, you know, or on rotation for nine months out of the year, you know, you just, you develop a wisdom. And so that's part of the piece for me is like you develop this weird resilience and wisdom towards their service and sacrifice and being a warrior and, I don't know, just, uh, I wouldn't say I was unprepared, you know? You know, as you, you bring that up, I, I can't, I can't empathize with what it feels like to be a military dependent. Um, to understand what they went through when I went forward and, and I had 10 combat rotations and, you know, my daughter was born before my first. My son was born, uh, you know, after my second, before my third. But I, I, I think for my focus, I, like, blocked that out. In the first, three, the first three days on deployment, I'll tell you this. I was, like, in tears, homesick, wanted to be with my kids. And then it was almost like a point, like, okay, I'm not saying they don't exist. Yeah. But I've got, a, like, I've got a mission to do. I've got guys depending on me. Do your mission get home to them. Um, and, and I, now I apologize to my kids that I wasn't there. I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I wasn't there for the majority of your, your, your childhood lives because I was always gone. And it's, as you, as you bring that up, I mean, I always said the unsung heroes are the, are the wives and the children of the service. Cause we're going to go one way or the other, whether we're told or most likely, you know, guys like your dad, 
they say, hey, we need uh, five guys overseas now. Boom, hands go up. Yeah. It's like, please select me. And it, it's almost like selfish in a way. But you want to be there. I mean, that's what you train. That's your job. If, if you don't go, who will? And it's guys like your dad that afford, but for every soldier that goes forward, what is it? Like something like 75,000 people that don't. And he's willing to do that primarily for, uh, for you guys. Let me ask you this. Prior, prior, you know, prior to everything that happened, what do you remember about your dad? What, what just, what stands out about him? What impacted you the most going into uh, June 28th of 2005? Um, <clears throat> well, I think one of the, one of the standout things is, um, you know, you, he had his quirks. Um, and, and you, you might appreciate this as a dad, but like, you know, as a chief, like he walked into the office a certain way, you know, but like we would just grill him all the time. He had chicken legs, you know, and he was every, it's funny. And like, um, in Marcus's book, he's like described as a tank, you know, like, I mean, he was like my dad was like a barrel chested, like barrel chested frogman. Yeah, yeah. He could hang from his biceps because he worked on those all the time, you know, and but abnormally huge, right? And but um I don't know, it was it was I think one of the most unique things about us, our family, was me and my sister Chelsea could absolutely just grill my dad. And and we you know, he we could make him blush with anger like better than anybody else and um you you didn't see that from any he couldn't take that from anyone else he couldn't get that from anybody else so I think that was really funny and unique about our relationship was um just joking on my dad all the time yeah but um you know a couple small things practical things um love to wrestle uh you know I know you've you've done some uh BJJ and stuff, and he loved it. We would go to teammates' competitions. Uh, we'd watch guys fight all the time. They had, you know, they had a workout room. They had mats. We'd hit the mats every time we went in. Um, so he loved to wrestle. Um, he was uh, sort of infamously known for his garlic breath, um, uh, you know, because you guys, like, team guys wrestle all the time, right? Yes. Like for PT, yep. just yep. – everybody just circle up and fight, right? Like, I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, so love, love to, I mean, my, and he, he also was way more aggressive than any other dad in the world. Like he had no problem choking me out, you know, like <laughs> I think I was big enough. So like it inspired me to get really rough with him. And, you know, I was really starting to throw a punch at like 13, 14, 15 and teaching you to defend yourself. Yeah, yeah, be a man, you know, just like absolutely um, know what it feels like to to sort of like fight. I remember actually in high school, um, I was being threatened. Somebody wanted to stab me in high school, and my dad was actually deployed. This is in San Diego. Yeah, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah, and so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's common. What, yeah. what high school did you go to? Bonita. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So um, I'm. This guy's like 
wants to meet me, wants wants to meet in the bathroom. I'm hearing word from all his friends. He's got a backpack full of knives. And um not a knife. He's got knives. Knives. Yeah, and like uh Because that's smart. Two, long story two, short. One is nothing, two is one. He got caught, he got expelled because he was carrying a backpack full of uh weapons. But um my my dad like found out I told my mom not to tell my dad. Dad mm. finds out. He calls me up and he's like, All right, if you see him, look around. Find a rock, find a stick, find anything, trash can, like be ultra observant of your surroundings. Um, he's like, doesn't anticipate getting stabbed. Like he's going to stab you, but protect your organs, your vitals. He was like, let him, let him like cut your arms up all he wants. Keep him at a distance. And I'm like thinking like who else of my friends gets a breakdown like this before? Dad, fight? Yeah. I want you to shank him in the uh, jugular. <laughs> I, you know, actually we, I can't remember who I was talking about. We were talking about this yesterday, just that in grammar school, even girls, we should reintroduce boxing. I'm not talking like how to box. I'm talking technique, guard, all, all the, all the techniques as well as wrestling, not jujitsu, but wrestling. And again, we're not putting kids in the ring and and putting headgear on. There's no head hits, but just going through the motions of teaching them how to hit a, hit a bag and, and protect themselves. And if it goes to the ground, how to how to how to protect yourselves, while reinforcing also fitness, yeah. and um, you know there's a, there's an assault on masculinity, and I think it's you know it's preventing us from allowing us to mentor boys to become men, sure. while China is actually finding ways to make their their young men more masculine. It's you know the problem I see with right now media is that you have one asshole sociopathic narcissistic guy like um what's the director who was using his power to to basically weinstein harvey weinstein oh, yeah. you. that's my brain that all men are like harvey weinstein when we know men like your dad were not that if he saw a woman in need he's the type of guy that would have stepped up in a heartbeat and beat off four guys to to help her yeah but when you start painting in, in broad strokes and saying that all men are like that you start to kill these attributes that are, regardless of sex, let's say protecting, like a mother protects their, their, their children, a father protects their family, resilience, you start to, to criminalize things like that as well. And that's where I think we're heading down a, a bad path. And you, you bring up a point, uh, Jacob, people love to assume they know what a, a SEAL is like from based off what they, in, in your industry now, what they see in the media or Hollywood. And as you described your father, you know, the fact that he could blush as, you know, take a joke from you guys that he was loving, uh, that he tried to mentor and, and mold you into a man. When you see some of the stereotypes around special operations guys and just painting them as, as meatheads, what, what, what do you sort of think about that? What do you say to that when somebody thinks they know what your dad was like? Oh, he was just a killer. Well, I've... So, um, without like calling like really high people out, I've, I've heard, you know, Naval Special Warfare sort of, or that experience, um, uh, like joked about from the highest levels. Like I've heard team guy stories, you know, like my dad's teammates, um, 
you know, like, man, I don't know. Like some team guy stories you don't tell. I really want to say no. this one, but there, there, and there's there's how we act around our families. But he, he, let me put it to you this way, and, and I don't want to name names, but this very high senior officer, I think at one point he was the bullfrog. Mm -hmm. um, God, this guy was a great leader. And he talked about how these men are such loving husbands and fathers, but they have this ability to just to go black, to dial their empathy down to almost none, knowing that they're going against people that hurt innocent people, that throw a gay man off a seven-story roof like ISIS did in, uh, in Iraq and, and go hunt. And, and whether we're right or wrong, remove what we think is, is pure evil from the earth, but then for their ability to return home. It's not like World War II where you had like months to get back to the United States from Europe or, or the Pacific. All of a sudden they, they fly home and they're home within 24 hours. And for them to, I mean, to ask a man to, to dial what he just had to do in Afghanistan and all of a sudden wrap his arms around a 15-year-old son, that's, that's a pretty unique uh, human being. You know, um, this is a tangent, but I want to see if you have any experience related to this. Um, uh, I have a, a couple of friends now from the intelligence side, mm. and um, uh, I was listening to one story about, like, Afghanistan warlord and war fighters in general and how they can be some of the most, like, sensitive, but also cutthroat men in the entire world like how they could sit down and have tea and talk about the flowers and like the beauty but if you said something wrong or if disrespected them in any way they would genocide your family you know like i don't know is that <laughs> you feel like you have that ex you know shared sentiment or experience uh yes and no I think that's in general, anyone who's short-tempered or, or, you know, if you can sway their, their ethics to where you, you simply dishonor them with words that they would, you know, take your life, I, I, I think that's a little off. I know the SEALs weren't like that. They knew when to, they knew when to turn it on. Yeah. It's, you know, I hate to bring up Jordan Peterson. You've probably heard him say this, like those who know how to use their swords mm -hmm. yet keep them sheathed. Yeah. Well, and here at the uh, the earth, right. there is a time to pull your sword. There is a time, you know, violence does solve certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if you want any proof of that, look at the world wars that we fought and why from the Holocaust. I mean, there is a reason that we go and we, we end such genocide. Um, and it, I think back to your point about like, you know, this whole meathead thing, like, my dad and his platoon were some of the mo most well-read men I've ever observed in my lifetime. You know, they, it was just so hammered, like, you should be reading everything, and here's what I'm reading, and here's another good book, and oh, you're interested in that side of geopolitical war? Like, here, you should read this. Like, my dad read a lot, and he, he, he just lived a fast life, you know? an incredibly compact life of information, like wherever he could get it, you know, like he just sucked it up like a sponge. And I mean, I feel like Navy SEALs, that's how they kind of, a lot of them um, can be that way mm -hmm. in general. Like mm -hmm. they, 
once you're like an A-type personality with this, you realize you can kind of do it with everything else. And, but yeah, I mean, he's, he, he read so much, man, read so much on war and fighting and yeah. They, so one, there's a lot of time you're sitting around, um, but the, they were just, I mean, those guys read, I, I tried to read as much as possible beyond that. Like I had guys in Afghanistan, we'd get back from a mission. They would knock out three hours of the, towards their masters. Yeah. And I'm like, where are you finding the time? I barely have enough, like, I'm, I'm barely good enough at my job to, 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 to maintain that. And these guys were finishing their undergrads, fi finishing their masters. It's not uncommon now to see an E9 with, like, two masters or a masters, and some guys are going for doctorates. I mean, these, again, preconceived notions that people join the military who have no other, no other paths in life, but the largest... Uh, funder of scholarships in the uh, in our nation is not a public organization. It's the U.S. Army. We put a precedence on uh, on education. We understand that knowledge is power. That is the greatest power you can have, and that's why these guys read. Some of the most articulate, well-spoken people I've ever met are SEALs, and they don't even have an undergrad. They just read yeah. everything. Everything. Yeah. One of my, uh, you know, favorite, like, seals today like seal friends that i have uh kenny um nicknamed kenny but um active retired um he may still be active um but just man holy crap kenny could recite i mean i i know a lot of you guys can but just like insane uh math like trajectories of bullets and like calculating like you know, um, just like, and I mean, so my dad actually in Hawaii taught me how to shot. And one of the most impressive things, like kind of just blew my mind. Um, we were there with STV team one. We were at one of the ranges there on the mm -hmm. mountain. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, um, the first time I ever shot, like, Growing up, scared of everything that goes boom, right? Yeah. Uh, but he sat me down. He took a couple practice shots with his rifle. And he's like, all right, you cool? I was like, yeah, I'm good. So he sat me down. And he's like, all right, line up, you know, 100 yards out, take your shot, let's whatever. Took that one. He's like, cool, okay, let's go like 300 or whatever. So then took that one. And he's like, ah, you're, you're a couple feet off. And then just click, click, click. And it was like next one, boom, ding. And I, I just blew my mind that i don't know man for me the average civilian to just watch a professional calculate wind calculate like just those um, discrepancies with the shot and then get me back on target you know it was just the coolest that was a huge gravity moment for me where i realized how much of a professional what all that training was for what you know and that wasn't that was that was a fraction, a very small fraction of what my dad did, you know. And so it was, um, yeah, it's it's always been humbling to, to kind of get to know team guys and or just, you know, professionals in general. Right. And and uh, get to know what they love about what they do, you know, because then you really see the passion talk like um, one of my dad's um, teammates. Uh, he. uh was a knife guy mm -hmm. 
mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of knife guys in the teams, but um, I, I remember this is like this is like ten years after Red Wings. I'm in a house with some of the, my dad's teammates, and um, he comes up. He's quiet, doesn't say a word. I actually don't remember or know who he is at this point. And he pulls out like the wheel. What's it called? Like a Charmaine wheel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Pulls out like a wheel. Starts pulling out blades. And like he's on this table with us and he just starts sharpening blades. Like never said hi to anybody in the room. Never. It was the most like weird thing ever. Um, but man, could I see like a passion. Like even if it was meditative for him, like meditative sharpening mm-hmm. knives. I just that image has never left me. And it's really cool when I get to see um professionals and what they love do love to do and and um I don't know, just see them in that, you know. Bro, I, I could go for days. Yeah. Like I, know yeah, you could. I, I I love to brag on the guys I served with more than I would ever like to talk about myself. I mean, one dude would come back from missions in Afghanistan and he would work on a surfing board, piece of wood, and like shaping it. So by the end of deployment, he basically had this beautiful stained surfboard that he, he made. You got guys like Rob Smith who, uh, Resco, which is a watch company. Yeah. He like, he was into watches. Yeah. And now he's got this badass watch company that makes these, these cool, you know, dive watches. Sick. Um, Guys had these just, they all had their thing. You know, some guys became like sommeliers. How funny is that? Like a seal that becomes a sommelier. Like that guy's going to crush it in Napa Valley. Everyone's <laughs> going to want to talk to him while, while drinking wine. They want to hear the, the stories. But, um, I mean, it, it attracts, and that's special operations. I know we're talking about seals. The Green Berets, Marsai. Yeah, they're all. Seal Mollier. Yeah, seal. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the in business the name. Let me ask you this, and I'm just always interested because I've had like Carrie Mills on and her son Cash was sitting there. Matt Mills was killed when Cash was eight months old. Um, June 28th, 2005, what were you doing and when did you find out? How did you find out? Yeah, probably just doing what I usually did, uh, playing RuneScape, uh, like MMORPG. Um which I'll premise with this. Um, my dad created a RuneScape account while he was in Afghanistan and actually signed on and played with me. Yeah. Like, I had to, like, pick up his corpse all the time because he was always dying to, like, overpowered monsters. But my dad made time to create a RuneScape account and play with me overseas. Um and I could probably never fully appreciate what that took. And, you know, but um, I will always treasure that. Um, it was kind of sad. They shut down the servers. But I remember, like, years back looking at my friend's list. And, and you know, it's either green or red, logged on or logged off. And always watching that logged off. That logged off name. Never going to come back. Um, <coughs> but uh, I was upstairs probably playing. RuneScape, and I heard a, uh, you know, just scream. The scream that means that uh, you got your leg chopped off or somebody's dead. And um, this, is, this is your mom downstairs? It's my grandma, actually. Um, and I could tell it was my grandma. 
and I was upstairs and I cleared story of steps in two leaps, like nine steps and then down on the floor. So it's a blood curdling it was, scream. It was, yeah, it was, it was bad. And, um, her door was not far from that bottom of the steps. And I, I came around the corner the door was open. I'll look over at her. She's right there. She's sitting on the bed. She's broken. I get, she's, but your body goes into this broken state where like yeah. your muscles just yeah. don't care about I things. Know. She's just broken sitting on the bed and she, the phone is in her hand and it's like right there, like on the bed. And she just looked up at me and she was just like, your dad. And I was like, I didn't cuss around my family, but it, I was like, oh shit. And then, just walked out, walked out of her room. Um, I actually, for many years, I just totally forgot about this, but I did pick up the phone, and it was my aunt. Um, she was like, just stay there, just stay there. She couldn't say it. She didn't know how to say it, but my grandma had already said. Um, the Navy had an old address on file, and they went to my aunt's house. So um, we, I walked out. I sat down um, for fear of losing my legs. And then my sister, Chelsea, walked out. Um, it's crazy, man, how time goes in a moment like that. But I don't know. This all happened in like two and a half seconds. And then I was sitting down. She was like, what's wrong? And I was like, um, for, for 12 years, this was the most painful thing I've ever uh, endured. And it was not being able to tell my my sister that my dad was dead. Like I couldn't tell her. And I just said older, younger, younger. I just said, uh, um, you know, you'll find out soon enough. And she was like, what's wrong? I was like, just, just wait. And she turned, walked in her backyard and like a movie, she sat, like square centered in a window. And I just got to look at my sister, you know, for 15 minutes or whatever, knowing my dad was dead and she didn't know. Like that was one of the longest moments I've ever lived through. I know you've reflected on that. Do you think you understand the, 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 the reason why you didn't tell her? And, and I'm just simply asking for my curiosity. It's honestly one of the world's mysteries, man. No kidding. Like I said, I thought about it for 12 years, and then I just kind of gave up. I'm sure a psychologist or some type of counselor could probably yeah. take a stab at it, but... I don't think they would truly ever understand, but yeah. I think I'm even sure if they understood, theory. I probably wouldn't yeah. have peace about it. Well, nobody wants to be the messenger on something like that, especially where, where you shatter the, the child, you know, the innocence of of a child. Yeah, like uh, I guess part of me felt like I'd be taking it away from her. You know? It's like Keiko's casualty assistance officers, some of them, I don't know, I'd, I'd like to guess most of them hate their job. Um. I'm sure, you know, our Keiko is incredible. 
um, was family, is family. Um, so I guess that aspect of it is incredible that you get to outfill that void in a certain way. But uh, that moment is like the worst thing in the world for them, especially if they're close, which in Naval Special Warfare, they try to be right. Um, so it, it was another SEAL that was our officer, and um, he did know my dad. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I felt like for a couple of moments what it was like to, to have to do that job. Maybe worse. I I feel fortunate that I never had to do it. I feared it. I had a lot of friends that had to, especially Extortion 17. They said it was the worst thing they've ever done in their life. They'd rather go through 100 more firefights than ever have to notify a family that their loved one is, uh, is perished. I had Kerry Mills, like I said, on here, and I also had uh, Rich Vinny. He served as the Keiko to her. And she on the podcast apologized to him because she gave out this yell. Yeah. Said that must have just shattered him. And I think he was with two others. Yeah. And watching the two of them interact and relive it was, I was in tears. Tears. The days that followed, I mean, that must just be a blur. Or, I mean, is it just, is it still a vivid memory to you? Because I know it's, it's almost like you're on a... They're putting you through a circuit. You're going to oh, yeah. the, the wakes. You're going to the funerals. What yeah. what was that like for a family member, man? Um, compartmentalized. Boom, 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 boom. You have all these different things, just like you said, um, and you're doing your best to compartmentalize them. Uh, for us, it was, you know, the first thing was dealing with, you know, seals killed in helicopter crash two days before we found out. Right. And being like, oh, dad's not in Afghanistan. He's on J sets in Iraq, you know, but then like, I don't know, man, crazy. And then, and then after getting the knock a day or so later, getting informed that there's an MI, there's an official MIA and you're like, what? And you're like, can you tell me mm. if there's any chance that it's my dad or not? They're like, we can't. In hindsight, Navy already knows that the helicopter is on fire and the guys inside are gone. But they can't say. So that kind of sucked. Because um, it gives you that one line of hope. Yeah, it's almost a playful thought, though. Mm. I mean... Um, just the fact that there was one always made my family feel incredibly uh, just hopeful. Just, um, I don't know what the right word is, but spiritually rejuvenated slightly, you know? Like, uh, you know the brotherhood. You're raised around the brotherhood. You know how much, you know, I knew how much my dad gave to the brotherhood. And to know that just one of those guys might have survived was like more than I could have ever asked for. It was, it was weird, but like I said, there was an extreme amount of hope when we, when we heard that there was one guy alive. That's not normal. That is not normal. That's, you know, for, for a comparison to the civilian society, 
I, and I've seen that in, in the SEAL teams, is the fact that a family who just lost their, their father, their husband, can be happy for another family that one came home. And that is insane. Uh, it, it, to me, that is the true spirit and, and camaraderie of America. And my only other experience with that was when, you know, I was on the rooftop with Michael Mansoor. And so I, you know, I'm in a wheelchair and I'm, they're wheeling me to the, the funeral and I got to meet the parents. And I didn't know what his mom looked like. And before I know it, somebody's like, this is Mikey's mom. Before I could say a word, she wraps her arms around me and says, I'm so glad you're home with your family. Yeah. And I'm like, I was a senior guy on the rooftop. I just lost your son. And you say that to me? Like, what world is this that even in loss, they can be happy that somebody else came home for another family? That's, that's love. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They're, they're pretty incredible. Forged, forged by fire. They say he's a, a still born or is he made? I don't know. Sometimes both. A little bit of both. When all the services are done, and I know the, uh, I know for years you're attending, honoring ceremonies, which is awesome. To you know, it's 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 about keeping the legacy of your father and the other men who who perished on Operation Red Wings alive, and that's how we do it. And I know that probably gets tiring, but for you personally, you lose the father you knew. I mean, did you go through what was what was that cycle of to 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 recovery to where you've gotten now? to where you live in honor of your father by accomplishing what you're, you're accomplishing. Well, well, of course I want to get to what you're doing now, but what was that recovery or that process? What did that look like for you? So I'm opening myself to psychological warfare. People are going to tell me I'm probably like, you know, clinically, uh, mentally ill, but. And we can tell those people to go pound sand. Yeah. I'll use kind words. Go ahead. But um, <clears throat> I felt sorry for myself for, a couple of minutes and then I just knew that like I heard my dad like say you know just never give up like it was like he kind of walked to me from Afghanistan in spirit and just told me like um you know kind of just don't be a victim um but in far more poetic, a, you know, a poetic way. He had raised me my entire life to be a protector, um, watch over my sisters, uh, just in everything that he ever really instilled in me. Uh, just don't give up. Always try your best. And um, this sentiment of like how he raised me I felt sorry for myself for a couple of minutes. And then I was like, this is not how I can live. This is not how my dad will want me to live. So I'm not going to live this way. And that was that. I never looked back. And so it's a pretty resilient mindset. Um, like I said, I'm probably like open to some like mentally uh, ill, like never gave myself a closure or anything like that. But I consider myself extremely fortunate and blessed to just, I don't know, um, do my best to be positive, be positive for others, be an inspiration for others, especially other Gold Star kids, you know, um, show them that a victim 
mindset or mentality, you know, the opposite can get them places that by being an overcomer uh, and hopefully achieving great things and doing awesome things and, and being proud and confident as I charge that path that they can be too. And so uh, immediately it was like, charge forward, do what you got to do, charge forward. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I kind of just, in that way, I am an A-type personality. I'm not an A-type personality, but in that way I am. And it's almost to honor my dad. Did you have to almost grow up quickly in a sense? Did you, in a sense, become one of the, you know, one of the household men? You're the man of the household in some sense? I would say I didn't really own up to it in, you know, in the way I would have liked. Um, I, had, I had poor excuses in life. Like, I got a DUI when I was 19. Uh, just adrenaline junkie thinking mm -hmm. my, my new definition on life was if my dad died when he was 36 years old, like, what's it if I die young? Like, that was my definition. And it was almost my argument with God, you know? <laughs> like, it was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You can take me young too, you know? And that's how I lived. And then, was, was there anger there towards God? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and then I, you know, got in this accident, uh, dr drinking and driving, three, three of my best friends in the car, could have easily ruined my life. Was probably inches away from ruining my life. And it wasn't, in, in a weird way, it wasn't, the wake-up call, uh, but it was, it was God telling me to pump the brakes because he was trying to talk to me, and it took me another five years to, uh, to begin that conversation with God, and um, I've never looked back since beginning that conversation with God. So, yeah, it's like, it's different, you know, it's like, yes, I was resilient in the beginning, but I also had some stuff that was wrong with me. And I made some really terrible choices because I thought I knew it all, right? Um, I mean, young men that's, do, That's right? 19, 20, yeah. Yeah. You think, yeah. You've, you've, you think you've got it uh, figured out. It's the peak of Mount Stupid. Yeah. Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, um, I guess um, at some point in that window, five years, uh, I decided I was going to work. That I was going to work, I wouldn't say harder, but I was going to work to do the right thing by my dad's legacy. <clears throat> and so I've, I've just... I don't know, since then, really taking every opportunity to commemorate him, um, guys like him, honor his brothers, uh, who are, you know, who also fell. Um, and, you know, by in the best way I can, which is with their kids, 
right? Because only I have that perspective. Only I have had my failures and I can, I can do my best to impart that on them and inspire them and pump life into them and encourage them. And yeah, that's kind of like my calling, I guess, in a lot of ways and has been. I don't know if I get to pass the baton on to anybody else, but not yet. Not yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's selfless. That's bold to, to assume that role because majority of, of kids that lose their father are not like you that have the ability to, to move quickly into, into action. I mean, it sounds like you had your share of struggles and, and obstacles, but I, I mean, I commend you, man. And that process for everyone is different. There is no, there is no one process. And you see it even with veterans from the veteran side, when they come back and how they deal with the aftermath of what they've seen, some people work through it quickly. Others don't. Um, I think the ones that do do it quickly reach out for help and they, they speak to somebody. Did you ever, did you ever find somebody to talk through the thought process of what you were going through? Did you ever have that, that person that you could confide in say, I'm really angry right now? Yeah. So long story short, it's God for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. um, short story long, I went through dozens. I mean, in the thirties and forties of, of mentors and I basically saw imperfection in every single one of them, and I was let down in, my, in little ways by every single one of them, and I, you know, probably more than once, but, you know, less times than I can count on one hand, cried to God, begged for help, and I felt like each time I did that, I got the answer I needed, uh, you know, in a little prayer, basically, and or call for help, and so... Yeah, I, I, I've had incredible mentors, but they've all let me down. And that's when I went looking for, you know, God. Like, these guys have all let me down, so what about you? And he never did. So it's hard to say that to a lot of people personally. You know, it's hard to to explain that. Um, but it's just my truth and it's my, it's my perfection for me. Um, it's practical too. It's helped me and served me along the way. And I've seen it pay dividends in my life. I've seen my life change everything about it. And, um, yeah, I couldn't be more grateful. When did the passion of storytelling primarily through video and, and you founded Pooh Bear Stories. One, you're going to have to tell me the, the, the background on that, uh, that name. But when did this, when, where did you identify this passion? Where did you, when did you really commit? Like, this is what I want to do with my life and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk it all and go for it. Yeah, so growing up in a Hispanic, you know, Mexican family, um, I was probably a cute crier growing up. And so my nickname was Pobrecito. And, um, yeah, so it was like poor little boy, right? Translates poor little boy. And so it was like, pobrecito, pobre, ah, pobre. And then you can already hear poor bear in there. But, like, my mom actually did start calling me her bear and then her poor bear. And so, um, and I have, like, a host of other nicknames. And they all kind of 
point towards this poor bear. So, yeah, man, I I I uh, risked my entire business on on being called Pooh Bear Stories for the rest of my <laughs> life. <laughs> I mean, how did you get into video, though? I mean, was it, was it in, did you take classes in school, or are you self-taught? Yeah, self-taught. Um, my grandma had a VHS recorder growing up, and, like, I saw that thing everywhere. And I kid you not, like, she would show up to so-and-so's wedding for free and record the whole thing mm. and, like, interview people. And so I get an insane amount of my storytelling from my grandma. And spending Love late it. nights on her bed, like listening to her tell me like stories. Um, so that's definitely where a lot of it comes from. I just kind of have that in me. And then I always growing up looked for an opportunity to get my hands on a camera. And I feel like I, I never was given that opportunity until later in life. And um, yeah, so like I can count, you know, in both hands, the amount of times that like, you know, studying or I was studying abroad and I had a little digital camera and I filmed like three hours of footage studying abroad. And I was made fun of by all my peers. But it was like, this is what I love to do. Like running up mountains, filming people, hiking up and then getting the back angle. And everybody like, dude, like he's running miles around us as we're going up a mountain, looking like an idiot. And then, um, got a job in Australia through Special Operations Warrior Foundation and uh, with A. Royale, a mar uh, manufacturing company out there. And the guy, uh, Andrew, owner, was like, come, you know, do this, uh, partially like sales and video training. And then I got there and I was like, hey, I saw you guys have a camera. Can I like do video testimonies for the company? And he was like, what? And I was like, just, it'll work. Just trust me. Like... <laughs> So, like, with his multi-million dollar company, I'm, like, running around town, like, interviewing his clients mm. and stuff. And so I've just always knocked down doors to tell stories. I've never been afraid to really push that door down. And, um, you know, at some point five, six years ago, I had enough video samples to present to an ad agency, you know, as my portfolio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were like, this is kind of weird. You have a little bit of like this and this. You didn't study it, but like we can see that you can do the work. So let's go. And then I just put my head down and edited, shot over uh, almost a thousand videos in three years for every different kind of business all by myself, like with no help. And that just gave me the reps and storytelling to have the confidence to start my own company. Like, I would, I don't know, never would have had that kind of confidence, but I, I was able to build up that confidence and, and just boom, let's go. So it's been incredible since starting, uh, the, the special operations community mm -hmm. has like, wow. Like, I mean, just the amount of opportunities I've had has been incredible. You did a video for your dad on YouTube, didn't you? It's mm -hmm. like four minutes long. Yeah. How old were you when, uh, when you did that? Oh man, gosh, I don't know. It's like probably more than, so, I, so if it's the one I'm thinking about, I did, uh, my Nana actually asked me to, my dad's mom asked me to make a uh, 10th anniversary memorial video for the team. So that would have been 2015. And, um, that was such a fun little experience because, uh, 
uh, the Navy SEAL Foundation was flying a lot of the families out to Coronado for the anniversary. They had two reunions. They had one on the East Coast, one mm-hmm. on the West Coast. And um, so my Nana was like, hey, can you make a video for the occasion? And so, like, like a mission, man. I got – I talked to all the families. I asked for – an equal number of pictures for every single guy so that nobody was favored. Nobody was, whether it was night stalker or seal, nobody was given extra attention. I included the same bits of information for each guy. I sourced songs. I was like, what's your song? What's his song? What song did he love? I did that for every single um, guy on that mission. And I could have made it an awesome, splashy, cool video, but I just decided to make it one where it was just equal and um yeah it was pretty cool that that um that that random like slideshow of a video with songs has done like a set you know a couple hundred thousand views or something on YouTube. Yeah. yeah and it's so so simple you know you know i i probably don't like hollywood as a whole but i love movies i love movies and the, that was my connection to my kids when they were young back from deployment we'd go see you know the was it the crudes and they would get a pop, huge popcorn soda. They would fall asleep with their heads in the popcorn. Eventually, I would take it and eat it. But just that was what we did together. And the, the you know, from a military standpoint, I've said it before, dude. And we've had a lot of uh, celebrities on, actors uh, and producers that like Hollywood is the greatest recruiting tool for the military. Even if they don't intend to be, if they like cut down the military, it's it drives a lot of kids towards us. But um, to you know, to take a leap. That's that's uh, extremely uh, brave. What with with any story you tell, what what sort of your methodology just to 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 through film through that yeah. story to to convey to the uh, the watchers the the listeners? Yeah, so I don't. I'm just gonna say it because it's easy, but I don't give a shit about how big you think you are. Like the story is what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. And that's allowed me to permeate the most powerful men in the world and sit across from them without a problem because I put story first. I don't know where I got that. Um, I know I owe a lot of it to, um, you know, the the loss that I've mm-hmm. been through. Mm-hmm. Um. But I just, yeah, I mean, it's part of my philosophy. Like, life is short. Um, Every moment counts. And why waste any of it being fake? Why waste any of it um, not not working with the truth ever? And, um, I mean, that's a huge part of my video company. Like, you know, I've sat in front of people who have hired us to interview them. And if I feel like they're BSing me in any way, Mm. I cut it. And I have no problem losing a client um, if they're not going to give me heart, if they're not going to give me Putting an agenda, putting an agenda uh, above the the truth for a public persona. Yeah. Well, what I have found is that humans are storytellers. And I've been very fortunate in, in, I don't know, maybe lucky uh, to just experience like this, like wide acceptance of people being on the same page mm-hmm. and wanting to chase that story with me or seeing where I'm trying to take them early on. 
And so it's worked out. And it's there have only been a couple times where I've had to like kind of massage through people to let them know what I'm here for and what I'm trying to do. And only, you know, one, two, three times where I've had to actually be like, I'm done with the interview here or I'm, I'm, mm. I, I got to cut this out. Like I can't do this. So if yeah. you, you're going to have to hire somebody else if, uh, damn, that's yeah. a hard, and that's a hard call to make. I mean, you all want that revenue. Listen, yeah, of course. You're not, you're not willing to, to sacrifice your integrity as a storyteller to, yeah. 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 Uh, I was talking to, uh, in Will knows him well, uh, Logan and uh, Jericho you know, recently, uh, they're both with Black Rifle Coffee and they were on the 777 and it was Jericho who was like, hey, have you seen a cut on the, because uh, Dan's working, Dan Myrick is working the uh, the cut on the 777 yeah. right now. Right. I'm like, nope. And he's like, well, when do you think it's going to be done? I'm like, honestly, I don't care because I don't want to watch it. Like, I don't, it's Dan's story to tell. Sure. And I just, I cringe when I watch myself on video. I just, I mm. don't want it. But I want, I want to get behind the camera and actually be the storyteller. Mm-hmm. I'd rather tell well, other people's stories. You are here. Yeah. Yes. You but really develop this. that, 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 that understanding and, and learn from guys like you and Dan, how to, how to do that. I'll never get into the video editing, but I love when you can strike to somebody's vulnerability and get them to drop their guard, especially badass warriors like your dad. When you get, when you, when, when, oh, yeah. when you get to their vulnerability, yeah. people are like, I didn't know that they were that type of man or woman. Yeah. You're like, yeah, they're kind, they're respectful, they're empathetic. They're loving fathers and, 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 and husbands, sons, and you're, you're typecasting them to this right. guy who just goes and kills people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my only, like, piece of advice, which you already know, but to put it in a sentence is just be selfish with your story. Just be selfish. You have to be selfish as a storyteller. And we need more people like that in the world. Um, because when people try to share this experience of storytelling, you know, the cheap example is like why there's only one director, mm-hmm. right? Um, you need that like just objective perspective of like how do you see the world and I can relate to you mm-hmm. or I can, I can see your truth. I see how you told it. I see how you see him and you know, it's easier for me to accept it as a truth through your truth. Um, but when you like blend that shared story together, the truth becomes muddled and, um, and doubt doubted, you know, and we need more truth. We need more, we need less muddy truth in the world. So we need more selfish storytellers that is, uh, I'm not going to push back against that statement whatsoever. You're, you're absolutely right. Everything is muddled right now. Ultimately, where, where do you want to take this? I mean, are, is, are, do you want to go nonfiction, unscripted? Do you want to do documentaries? Do you want to get into, you know, uh, historical fiction? Where, where do you want to go with your storytelling? What's the grand thing? And I know you're building toward, towards it, but who knows? Somebody may be listening to this. This is the project I want to do. Yeah, so, um, you know, if you're hiring, I would love to be a, a space director of photography. If you, uh, the International Space Station, if you guys are accepting applications, I would love to come film up there. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, I, I say, I say that, um, I don't know, in this lifetime, we'll probably have st- more stays, uh, yes. space DPs. We'll have guys. Um, I mean, so, uh, like a cool little thing is we just started working with pararescue men, uh, who, you know, the alpha five project, yes. those guys are <clears throat> doing a 35 K jump and they're touching the stratosphere. Right. And, um, they do a lot of uh, recovery ops for the uh, private sector. And that's pretty close, man. Like being able to like, you know, ride around in a helicopter in the middle of the ocean to recover uh, a space vehicle. That's pretty, that's pretty close. And so I'm pretty, I'm okay. uh, Sort of where I am doing that. I'm really, really grateful for that opportunity. Um, and just working with pararescue has always been a dream of mine. Um, they're badasses. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I, for a while I looked at pararescue. Uh, I don't think I would have been a good seal. I think I would have been an okay, uh, ranger just blowing stuff up, but I really respect and admire the pararescue mission that others may live. Yeah. That, that right there, their, their mantra is, yeah, I was talking with, uh, God, amazing guy, Air Force, and I don't want to throw his name out, but I'll throw the company, Pillars of Valor, coffee company. Air Force guy, just the sweetest heart. As we're talking, you know, we've been texting. He's followed me over. He said, hey, can I get five minutes of your time? I got questions as an entrepreneur. And one of the questions was, when did you know you made it over the hump? I'm like, bro, I'm like, let me me set this conversation straight right now. (laughs) We are on the fence's edge. These, some of these ventures could fail. Some could be, uh, you know, highly successful and some could just continue to float and never really hit uh, momentum. So I corrected him there, but um, just the fact that, you know, people are that selfless. And, and he asked a question and I'm like, hey, when you start to realize that life, and I, I mean this in regards to my family, that it's not about me. It's about my wife. It's about my kids. It's about, you know, my colleagues who I consider family. And when you start living life like that, like pararescue, that other may live, that it's not about you, it's others, bro, life becomes a lot more sweeter. Oh, yeah. In, in, and that's not to say you can't have selfish desires, like, hey, I really want this Bronco. Yeah, hey. Sometimes to take better care of others, you got to take better care of yourself. I, in, and I've learned that too late in life. I think that's what wore me out in the military. But, no, I love the PJs. Um, I think I know an astronaut that we may be able to uh, connect you to uh, that goes by the title of SEAL and now oh, he's yeah. a pilot. Uh, oh, Dr. Johnny Kim. Oh man. Yeah. He's oh. A, oh bro. He's, he's one of the most humble dudes you'll ever meet. That's so cool. Yeah. Massive respect. Um, it's a whole nother world. I know, I know personally, you know, several seals who have applied for the, the astronaut program. And I know it's incredibly competitive. Um, yeah. I, and I can't even imagine what he is going through um, un- under them, uh, you know, under NASA, under that federal program, under that regimented. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't even want to talk to him until he's done with it, you know, and then and then I know he has a little bit of time. So I think he's uh, he's on the, I don't know how it works, the Mars mission. Yeah. Um, he just finished his, he got his uh, naval aviator wings. So now he's an aviator as well. Which he did move the Trident down and put the aviation ones oh, there. Man. So I think he, we all sent him some dirty texts. Um, but no, 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 he's a remarkable man. Um, love him. In fact, I think we're going to 
There's a name in, in New Mexico, there's a name of a town called Truth and Consequences. It's an odd name. I'm, I can't wait to get there to see uh, if the place is a little <laughs> weird. But So we're going to watch the Virgin Galactic launch August 9th and 10th. Uh, and that would be cool to, to see cool. that. Yeah. yeah. It's, I love these. I don't know if I have the, 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 the let me just say it, the balls to step onto one of these aircrafts, especially after the submersible uh, off the Titanic. But I do love the fact that civilian companies are taking people into space and it's just yeah. the technology is going to continue to, to accelerate. We are going to, we are going to send a group to live in Mars, hopefully in our lifetime. Oh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, to see. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So outside of uh, being a space DP, um, I think I get most of my fulfillment kind of like you, you talked about being able to, uh, really interview the heart of like an operator. I feel a little bit, um, of the same way. I think I have this, uh, disarming foundation of like, I lost my dad. Um, I share a great loss. Uh, I know you share a great loss, uh, or you have suffered great loss. And because, because I have two, uh, we can have a little bit of an honest conversation. So I don't know. I feel like I've definitely been able to do some pretty useful stuff, um, talking to operators, uh, getting that perspective, getting a, a little bit more of an honest uh, perspective from them um, because they respect me. They respect my dad. They want to honor us both. And so that's, that's awesome. I've found a lot of fulfillment there. Um, we're, you know, I guess a lot of my heart is really invested in this community and growing up with, with SEALs who have served and sacrificed so much and who could just, I mean, a lot of you guys have lived incredible lives, uh, but it really sucks when you come home and you're, you struggle. Um, my dad's teammates have struggled and it sucks to witness from from the side you know i feel so blessed to like i don't just have blessings just you know my mind not be fogged or my mind be happy or fulfilled um and and to not see my dad's teammates share some of that uh sucks and so my heart is definitely in a project with my dad's teammates to help the community as a whole um, I think I could do some pretty powerful stuff with my dad's teammates, um, getting some honest conversation going and, uh, for, for the benefit of the community as a whole, I think just to have a bigger conversation about, about being, uh, fulfilled and finding peace, um, finding joy, uh, after, uh, incredible service. Let me take a, a shot at that and in, in, in sort of break that down in a few things. So first off, I know for, for your dad's teammates and the teammates I know, there's, there's some survivor's guilt that they can't get over. And that's much like you had to go through your journey. They've got to figure out how to put that down. I don't think you ever put it down, just like you're never going to put down your dad. And I've actually come to like understand that I actually appreciate the fact that I have that in my life. You said I sacrificed. I'd push back against that. I didn't sacrifice. You know, I had a lot of combat deployments. You sacrificed. Your family sacrificed. My kids and my ex-wife sacrificed. I got to serve next to lions. I stood with lions, dude. 
I'm not saying I was one. I'm not saying I was a warrior, but I served with some of the most lethal warriors in the world. And I got to watch them, you know, execute selfless valor on a nightly basis. And for that, you just use the word blessed. I am blessed. And that's how I think we've got to get the, the guys who are struggling to see that. Like, we're the lucky ones. We got to feel what it means to be part of a, a, a tribe, to be part of a brotherhood. We, you know, for he who sheds his blood today with me today will be my brother until eternity. And we've got that. And you've got that in a sense as well because we wrap you guys within it because we will never forget your father. We'll never let anyone forget your father. And even when the American public doesn't want to hear it, guess what? We'll scream it from the highest mountain and say, this was Dan Healy and this is what he stood for and we need more Americans to be like him, just like you. And I don't think you can do good for the community. I think you've done good for the community and I think you will continue to do great things for the community. And, and I'm excited to watch that, man. Um, when you say teammates, have you ever have you ever thought about getting with Marcus? To because I mean, man, I, I have deep respect for what one he went through, and two for the burden that he carries. And and I saw him about a year ago, and he looks so much better. Because I know I, I, we all saw him on Rogan when it looked like he was definitely struggling. Struggling, but would would you ever consider doing a reflection? You know, I mean, we're coming up on 20 years, man. That's insane. Would you ever yeah. do a reflections with him for like a 20-year uh, anniversary? Yeah. So um, he's, he's like, w- we talk every year. Sometimes one year we'll talk every couple months. Um, he's insanely busy. He's, mm-hmm. if you just look at literally the assets in his life, like they pretty much run a zoo, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> – you know, to have a couple of kids, yeah. but also to have uh, several animals is Yeah, well, that's his, his ranch. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Um, and then the nonprofit, um, I mean, and then the speaking opportunities, the networking opportunities there. Like, but he has made time uh, over the years, and he actually, last year, I think, we were talking, and he, he said, I'm ready whenever you are, man. But, um, you know, it's up to me, right? When... When I say the time is right is when we're going to get together and do something. And he's, he's, he's good for that, and he's always been good for that. Who, what, uh, what projects are you working on right now? So um, consulting uh, on a documentary focusing on women in the intelligence community. So CIA, NSA, you know, all that stuff. Military as well or, or not so much? Military as well. Um, some pretty heavy hitters in there. It's been pretty, uh, it's been incredible, you know, coming from, and I like loosely saying coming from this, the SEAL side, very loosely understanding like the structure of like reconnaissance and, and how you guys can gather intel and work with, with, with uh, intelligence assets and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, not understanding every, the whole picture, but understanding a little bit of how intelligence works in the SEAL community. And then, you know, here we are almost two de- decades later being able to, to work alongside these women um, who share sacrifice as well in their own way has been really, really cool um, and a great responsibility for me. And so we just finished filming for... The last nine months or so, um, we've been in production for, for what seems like probably two to three years. Mm. And then uh, 
we're actually going into editing. So we'll, we should have a cinematic trailer coming out soon, kind of encompassing uh, this story that we're trying to portray around women in the intelligence community. And um, that's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to try and get publicized against, uh, you know, these massive organizations like the CIA. And um, we, we fortunately have some mentors who have published, um, you know, they've been in the CIA, left, published, got it approved through the right uh, sort of channels and edited and all that stuff. And so we're fortunate to have that kind of mentorship with this project. Uh, but I know it's going to be fun the whole way. Somebody mentioned your name from a organization tied to the intelligence community. And uh, it was in an email to, to, to Dan, Christian, and I. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm bringing them on the, uh, the podcast. So they spoke with high regard to, uh, to you in poor uh, Bear Stories, man. Yeah. That's good. Are you going to try to pitch it to a streaming platform or you're not even worried about that part for, you know, right now? So I think that's going to be one of the funnest parts is getting it distributed um, mm -hmm. to the right audiences. Um, I, th I think when people talk about Hollywood, that's actually what they're referring to. They're referring to the business side of mm -hmm. distribution mm -hmm. and the demons that and the greed that lay there. Um, and it's a business. I see it as a business opportunity to be really hands on with the distribution uh, process. And so uh, I'm going to be alongside the two producers, Katie and Megan. They're incredible. They are mm -hmm. executors. And that is why I chose to work with them. Um, I consulted them for a year and a half to two years and Every time I gave them uh, something to knock down, they did. So they're executors. And I said, I will make a movie with you guys because you guys will not let me down. But um, they have, they've been <clears throat> incredible. And I know that we're going to have a great time really distributing it, getting connected with audiences through the film festival circuit. Yes. Going abroad, um, you know, because it's about connecting with people. And that's, that's like the most exciting part is like getting to watch audiences all over the world respond to your work and appreciate it. And I think um, as a filmmaker, it's time we take that out of the hands of like big corporations and big networks and we get gorilla with it again. Don't be lazy. You know, like if you put your blood, sweat and tears into your content, then why wouldn't you want to read the rewards of seeing other people appreciate it? So that'll, that'll be very fun. And I'm really looking forward to that. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to watch that. And why wouldn't you make money off it as well? Cause guess what? That funds your next project yeah. project. There's nothing evil about making money off your hard work. Um, uh, well, it's like, it's like you said, like I have, um, you know, when I was 25, I said I was going to be a millionaire by, by the age of 30. And, and that was, like, very false. But um, now I get to see the responsibility of generating wealth. And just like you said, it's taking care of other people. And when you can focus on that, everything else comes. And, you know, I still um, i am not wealthy by any means. I enjoy being frugal. I enjoy cheap meals. I enjoy uh, walking versus taking an Uber. I enjoy like being on the ground and 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 helping uh, the people around me that work for me and work around me and advocating for them. And that to me is 
uh, what it means to be a steward of wealth. And mm. so, yeah, that's... Rich people are rich because they don't give their money away. They, people understand that they live with a, a frugality. They live with a, a discipline and consistency in how they spend their money. That, dude, that's, yeah, that's the type of things we try to bestow upon our kids is, uh, is be smart with your money because you get it, you don't spend it. Um, that's awesome, dude. I want to end this um, one. If companies are interested in the advertising piece, video marketing, uh, getting piece done, they can contact Poor Beer Stories at poorbeerstories.com. Correct. So, okay. Yep. And you're still in that space beyond the, the large sort of documentaries and. Yeah. So we do, uh, most of our work is travel. We're based out of Orlando. Um, we have a presence in Washington, D.C. and in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of uh, pretty mobile on the East mm-hmm. Coast, which is great. That's been really fun. But we, we do work all over and we also go international for a bunch of stuff. Um, we've had a lot of success in conventions and meetings. Um, we get a lot of fulfillment out of documentary storytelling mm-hmm. and really helping to, to be a huge crafting hand on that. But we do everything in between um, commercials, campaigns. Um, we're working with defense contractors right now, which is really cool. I would love to do... Uh, I would love to do some work for Naval Special Warfare someday. I would love to uh, potentially um, help with recruiting efforts uh, for any branch. So that's, you know, I've been, I've been focused on, on those pillars for a while and, and, you know, just trying to get mentorship and insight into how I can do that better and see if it's a good fit for us or not. And, but um, I don't know, it, it would definitely bring some fulfillment and joy to be able to give back uh, to the military in that way. That's, that's awesome. You already are. Um, we usually end this podcast by asking people, you know, what are the three rules in life? What I want to focus on is, you know, the relationship between a father and a son is, is something special. And I'm saying that as a father. I love my son. And I hope I, I, I do, I prepare him to be a good contributing member of society, but more importantly, has the ability to stand on his own two feet, to fail, to, to, to work through the critical thinking of the reflection, to learn from it, to drive on and to, to train other people to, to do the same. What do you think are the top two to five lessons that you learn from your fathers? The, those things that he continually, either verbally or through action, just tried to reinforce in you that you've carried forward in your life and have led to a good portion of your success. Yeah, so the the lesson that, you know, will influence me in perpetuity is giving yourself to a, a, a cause greater than self, right? I mean, he died on that sword. And um, I think uh, in life, very few of us choose to die on a sword. And I am, you know, I hope that I can, I can be that caliber of man someday to pick a sword to die on. Um, that would be my one, uh, and then number two and three would be what he has taught me, right? So never give up and always try your best. I mean, that was in, that was his sign off on every email and every phone call and every little sit down coaching meeting. Um, what I've struggled with is understanding it the way he has lived it because it, it's all about context and to 
go through buds to 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 suffer um, that training and to endure it for the rest of your career and to push yourself right never give up and always try your best has an incredible uh, color to it and so I guess my goal is to strive to to find that saturation my goal is to find the depth of what my dad lived by always try his best and never giving up. Um, and I, 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 I do find pieces of it in my work. There are moments where I am like sweating, exhausted, and I have an opportunity to push a little bit further. And I get to pay myself saying this is a little bit of what my dad meant by always trying my best, never give up. And so I will continue to look for those opportunities. That is, um, those are great lessons. Those, uh, those are three lessons I think, you know, if you've, you'd bestow upon anyone. Um, and you can't really go much, much deeper than that. I mean, those, those, are, those are key and fundamental. And I, hey, man, I didn't know your dad personally. I know of your dad, and we try to keep all their memories alive. But as a father, I know he'd be looking down, proud of the man you become, of what you're accomplishing, the fact that you actually have a passion and you're pouring into it at the age of, what are you, 32, 33 now? Yeah. That that right there would put your father at ease if he was alive that my son's on a path. He's, you know, for a lot of 32 and 33-year-olds that are lost and just jumping from job to job, you found your passion, and, and you've got to actually – Again, it's not about yourself. You're trying to drive impact, and that's the greatest currency in life, man. Jacob, I, I can't uh, thank you enough for joining us. Again, if anyone is interested, poorbearstories.com. Um, if you're interested in a documentary about the Intel community, Netflix, Amazon, you're listening, contact them. I can't wait to see this thing, and if we can be of any help, man, don't hesitate to, uh, to ask when it comes out. Men's Journal will be promoting the hell out of that thing. Thank you, and I just want to say thank you so much to your listeners. Uh, for their time and attention. Um, it it means an incredible amount to me. I'm incredibly grateful. Thank you so much Perfect. for having me. Thanks. For all of you, thanks for joining us. Again, go to you know Apple, whatever, uh, Spotify, just uh, listen, like, leave a comment. Uh, we appreciate it. That's the feedback mechanism for how we improve. Jacob, again, thank you. Our guest, out here.